listening to the sermon podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from the triune God. So uh, immediately following the liturgy, we will hold today our seventh annual blessing of the bicycles. Woohoo! During the blessing, we will pray the following prayer. Present in a community of beautiful diversity, we ask your protection and blessing on all who ride. Petty cabbies, weekend warriors, athletes, homeless folks, students, children, echo warriors, bike co-op anarchists, messengers, and all the others who take to the Denver streets, bike paths, parks, and mountains. Keep us safe as we ride. God of life, hear our prayer. This prayer reflects that one of the reasons we have a blessing of the bicycles is out of concern for the safety of riders. In a world that's dominated by cars, if you must travel or choose to travel without a car, you are particularly vulnerable. And so we bless the bicycle and the bicyclist and ask God to hear our prayer. But does God really hear our prayer? Does God participate in this thing we call blessing? Friday afternoon, as I was writing this sermon about blessing, I got word that a longtime member of the house community, Phil Ross, was hit in a hit-and-run while riding a pedicab. Phil, who runs a pedicab business, was instrumental, in, I hear, in creating the blessing of the bicycles. But I would imagine that Phil didn't feel quite protected by that blessing when he was struck down last week and abandoned on the road. Though Phil is expected to fully recover, his tragic injuries bring into sharp relief the question of what are we doing when we bless someone or bless something. If we believe that by our blessing we will save ourselves or that God will protect us from all danger on the road, then, well, the blessing of the bicycles doesn't have a great track record. After all, Phil didn't have his bicycle blessed just once. Phil had years of blessing piled onto blessing, but right now he is in a hospital facing a difficult recovery. So what is happening when we bless the bicycles if it doesn't assure us divine protection? And as Steve Ludwig recently asked at a a gathering, why do we bless stuff at all? Isn't blessing kind of magic-y? Do we believe in magic at House for All Sinners and Saints? Admittedly, the idea of blessing is fraught. It's a theological minefield. To say that something is blessed immediately brings up the idea that something else is not blessed. Has God blessed Kathleen's many trips on her scooter while withholding blessing from Phil's most recent ride? Yes, the practice of blessing without a doubt brings us into really messy theological territory. And within the last couple years, the idea of blessing has become even more confusing. About a year ago, the New York Times ran an article explaining that one of the most explosively popular memes 
on computers, on the internet of the past, past couple years is hashtag blessed. <laughs> if you've not seen this, here are some great examples of how it's used. Strawberries are half price at Trader Joe's, half, hashtag blessed. <laughs> Kanye West and Kim Kardashian are on the beach in Cabo with an enormous bottle of champagne, hashtag blessed. You get the picture. These, millions, these and millions of other examples paint a picture of a world that I believe yearns for blessing, but actually has very little understanding of what it means. Or rather, the kind of blessing that hashtag blessed, blessed reflects is an understanding completely opposed to the biblical understanding of blessing. When we say hashtag blessed because we just found a Louis Vuitton bag at a deep discount, what we are really saying is that we are privileged. To claim God as the source of our privilege turns God into an agent of the sinful structures of our world that create such privilege. To be sure, the biblical understanding of blessing has nothing to do with reinforcing the privilege of dominant over marginalized peoples. The kind of blessing we hear about in Scripture isn't a spell. Blessing is also not a new agey, if you think it, you will manifest it kind of thing. Instead, the biblical understanding of blessing is a way of intensifying our relationship to the kingdom of God. Therefore, if we're going to catch a glimpse of what the Bible understands of blessing, we have to first catch a glimpse of the kingdom of God. Fortunately, in today's gospel reading, the parable of the mustard seed gives us precisely that glimpse. But I believe we have to take a queer sideways look at this parable if we really want to understand what Jesus is getting at. To sum it up, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, a really tiny seed that can, unbeknownst to us, fall to the ground and grow into a towering plant that birds will turn to for shelter. Sounds good on the surface, but most seeds are pretty small, and I guess it's pretty miraculous that huge trees and plants are born from such small objects, but it's not that exciting. (laughs) Is Jesus saying that God moves in mysterious ways? Is Jesus saying, uh, you might not know why something happens, but it's going to turn out perfectly in the end? No, I don't think so. To get at this, the really meaty, hidden meaning of this parable, I think we have to spend some time with mustard. Now, I don't know how much you know about mustard, the plant, not the yellow stuff you put on hot dogs. Um, Some of you are starting to discover the kind of the depths of my nerdiness. And part of another uh, facet of my nerdiness is that in middle school... I had a vegetable garden of my own that I would plant and till and wheat, of course. And one of the vegetables that I grew was mustard. (laughs) It grew really well in the soil of West Tennessee. But even the best plants only grew to be a few feet tall. Yes, we were growing mustard to eat the greens, and so we picked it before it became full grown. But occasionally we'd let the plants bolt and grow to their full size. Even then, the average mustard plant was only four or five feet tall and was really quite spindly. 
So it always puzzled me how Jesus describes the tiny mustard seed transforming into a plant so big that birds seek shelter on its branches. I've never seen a mustard plant with branches. For, uh, for many years, I just said, Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> what I didn't realize was that this is precisely what Jesus means. No, mustard does not typically grow into a plant so large that it would give shelter to birds. In fact, mustard was never actually even cultivated in ancient Palestine. It was considered a weed. So the picture Jesus is painting of the kingdom of God is radically different from the sanitized Sunday school lesson many of us grew up with. Jesus is not saying that the kingdom of God grows in the expected manner of, say, a pine nut into a pine. That would be straightforward, but not very powerful. Instead, the image Jesus gives us is of a common weed that grows into a monstrosity. It's as if he said the kingdom of God is like a tiny kernel of crabgrass that falls to the earth even though the gardener has done her best to weed all the crabgrass out. Then the crabgrass grows into a towering tree so big that pigeons start making their nests in the crabgrass trees. Yeah, even the birds in the parable are not innocent as they may seem. Because in the previous parable, the birds uh, traditionally have been interpreted as Pharisees. They're a nuisance. They're birds that constantly pecked at people, more rules, more to do. So the original listeners to these parables would have certainly recognized the birds in the mustard seed parable. Like, oh no, the birds are back. (laughs) So this image of the kingdom of God is pretty unsettling when we start to break it down. It's almost like a scene out of Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Things that initially seem natural and beautiful quickly transform to something more surprising and unsettling. So where is the good news in the weed grown out of control and the unwanted birds who have made God's kingdom their new home? The good news is that the weeds are what flourishes in God's world. The good news is that the birds, the Pharisees, the very people we don't like are given a home in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a reality where only roses and oak trees have a place. It's not a world where the right people thrive while the weeds get tossed out and burned. No, the weeds form the very structure of the kingdom of God. And after all, we are the weeds. Whether or not it happened in a dramatic fashion like Phil being left injured on the road, all of us have been discarded in one way or another. And probably all of us have discarded others. I certainly have. The good news is that those who have been discarded and those who are discarding, all of us are at home in the wild grace of God's reign. This is the heart of the gospel. The very trash and scrap heap of this world becomes the rich soil of God's garden of grace. So if blessing is something that brings us closer to the kingdom of God, it's this kingdom that we are approaching. It's not a kingdom where everything works out. It's not a kingdom where only the most gorgeous flowers bloom. 
It's a kingdom where everything we know to be true gets turned upside down so that all is made new. All of us are transformed in the kingdom of God. No, the blessings we are about to give today won't guarantee us protection in the world. In this reality, but the blessing will allow us to step into that other reality, which is right here beside us. God is making peace right here, right now. Thanks be to God.